Hey everybody, you're listening to the Smoke Meat Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Pittman. Smoked Meat is brought to you by Joe's Underground in the corner of 8th and Broad in Augusta, Georgia in the bottom of the Lamar Building. Uh, Joe's is such a wonderful place. The first time you go in there, you feel like your family, everybody is just so great in there. They, they just make you feel at home from the first time to every time you're in there. So go on in, make some new friends, have some drinks with some old ones. Just go in and have a good time. Tell Jeremy and the gang I said, hey. And remember, I goes to Joe's and so should you. Joe's underground at the corner of 8th and Broad in Augusta, Georgia, in the bottom of the Lamar building. All right, smoke meat people. This is one you've been waiting for. And it's one I've been waiting to put out. I'm excited about it. Uh, a little background. You know, from September of 1996... To March of 1997, the rap world lost two of its greats. Those are when Tupac Shakur and Biggie Smalls were both murdered within six months of each other. Now, LAPD investigated, and there were a lot of allegations about crooked cops and about just all kind of different theories, and it never really went anywhere, didn't have any closure. And in 2006... LAPD reopened the case with a task force, a federal task force, to solve these murders. And my guest today is the man who led that task force, Detective Greg Kading of the LAPD. Uh, Greg talks a little bit about the cases today. Uh, This kind of lets you know they were solved. They're just not prosecutable. And uh, gives some pretty good details. Uh, You may know Greg from the Netflix miniseries of Unsolved. And also his documentary and book called Murder Rap, which is on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, we had a good time today. We talked about Biggie and Tupac. We talked a little bit about vodka. We talked a little bit about everything. So everybody just kick back, relax, and enjoy and listen to the Smoke Meat Podcast. Hey, so how are you doing today, Greg? I am good. Absolutely great. I went golfing this morning and it was about 115 degrees at the golf course. So, um, I, uh, I, I don't know how wise it is to be out there, but it's my favorite thing in the world to do. So I, I take the risk and, um, I, I think the temperature reflected my score. Oh man. What, what's your handicap? <laughs> like I said, my <laughs> temperature reflected my score. I don't have a handicap. I go out there, drink some beers, and smack the ball around with my buddy. So um, I need to start taking it more seriously because I've been playing long enough to where I I'd be uh, I'd be you know pulling bogeys out instead of triple bogeys. <laughs> oh man, don't take it serious. It won't be fun anymore. I always tell everybody yeah, exactly. my handicap is my game. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I haven't played golf in forever, man. I got. A jacked up shoulder, but my long game, man, I I can drive farther with my five wood than most people can with their oversized drivers. You got a big hit, huh? Oh yeah, I can, man, I can, I can put it out there, but you'll catch up to me really quick when it comes time to get on the green. Mm-hmm. Man, I couldn't put down a damn piece of PVC pipe and get it in the hole. Oh yeah, man, such a such a mental game. It's just so challenging, but. I, I, like I said, it's, there's nothing else I enjoy more. It's, I love being out there with my buddies, drinking some beers, and every once in a while you get that shot that makes you makes makes it all worthwhile. Oh yeah, I, I love the sound of a good drive. Everybody looks up and says, "Now that's a golf shot." Correct. Yeah, I mean, it, there's nothing like that sound. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and whenever I do it, it's usually an accident, but I always stand there like I meant to. Because I play ninja golf. I, I like to say I hit it in the woods and sneak up on the hole. Oh, yeah. Today, we uh, we were just sacrificing balls because even if they were 10 or 15 feet off, you know, into the brush, there's uh, those rattlesnake signs everywhere. <laughs> so uh, everyone's warning you it's not it's not worth that $2.50 ball to go out there and get uh, struck by a snake. Yeah, that's when you, you just keep half your range balls. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, hey, you know, if you do get a rattlesnake, if you can go on ahead and kill it, bring it to Georgia, I will cook it. Ah, interesting. Oh, yeah. Rattlesnake stew, huh? Oh, no, man. You fry up rattlesnake. Is that yep. right? Yep. Yep. I haven't uh, done that in a long time. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm going to avoid that. I don't uh, think I'm going to be eating any snake or any other <laughs> creatures that crawl along the ground. <laughs> Yeah, it's an acquired taste. The funny thing is, everybody says it tastes like chicken. It actually yeah. does. But I like yeah. what Rodney Carrington said. He said, well, just bring me chicken. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but no, I, I know y'all's heat out there right now. Is, it's ridiculous. And it's funny, here in Georgia, I feel like we've gotten a break this summer. I haven't seen 100 degrees yet. You guys just get the humidity, though, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, a little bit, man. You ought to wear a mask with all this shit on. Oh, man, 300% humidity with a mask on, and I wear glasses. Yeah, I might as well be Velma from Scooby-Doo. Forget that, man. I know. It just doesn't even feel right. You're out there trying to breathe, and uh, (laughs) everything's restricted, and breathing in your own exhale, and uh, this shit needs to end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm ready for it, too. We just actually bought some new masks because you know we wear the n95s my wife runs a nursing home and, uh, she wears one all day and we found one i mean these things were like 90 bucks a piece but it's the most comfortable mask i've ever worn that's right yeah it's the ones that the covid docs they're the ones in the covid units wear the doctors right and oh i'm loving this thing i am loving it the only thing better than this would be not having to wear the damn things anymore because i'm sick of them right yeah, but if people just behave and like do what they were taught in kindergarten, wash your hands, don't touch your face, and don't sneeze on everybody, I think we'd lick this thing. Well, that's the whole thing. This whole like you know gloves and hand washing and all that stuff's kind of been you know forgotten or put on the back burner. At first, it was masks and gloves and all of this, and then for whatever reason, the whole glove thing went right out the window. Yeah. You used to see them just on the, you know, you come out of Home Depot or the grocery store and you see a bunch of discarded gloves on the ground. You don't even see that anymore, which, you know, I'm trying to make make the connection. Like, why were, were gloves ever important or why aren't they now if they were? And if masks are important, why aren't gloves? Yeah. You know, the whole thing is just so hard to really get any... uh true intelligence on yeah yeah like i said i'm elbow deep in it and i don't have much so welcome to my world oh Um, man i'll tell you this pandemic uh for me Mm -hmm. did teach me one thing that uh i didn't realize is that i really wasn't prepared Mm -hmm. uh for the whole idea of shutting down and quarantining and 
you know, no, no preparational um, perspective on that. So now I'll probably end up with a bunch of math that I don't need, hopefully soon, and uh, throw those into a shoebox for the for the next for the next round. Yeah, I know when this thing first started, you know, I took my daughter down to where my wife works at because they were going to go to our home near Augusta and take my daughter's senior pictures. And I was just going to stay home because I'd worked all weekend or all week and just, I just didn't want to go down. So I took her down there where my wife didn't have to drive back up here. And on the way home, I stopped at a little grocery store right down the street from me. Not even a big chain, just a little mom and pop thing. And I said, I'm going to pick up something for supper. You could pack a pack of hot dogs or something. And, uh, man, but uh, I'd walked in and, man, it, <coughs> excuse me, it was ridiculous, like a zombie apocalypse. I mean, people were panic prepping. And I walked over, got my hot dogs, and I stayed in there for like an hour just watching people. And it's like, why? I, I went to the frozen foods, and this couple ran over there where I was at and almost slid their buggy into the, the cooler and snatched the door open. And lady on the phone said, how many of these pizza rolls are we going to need? They're almost out. Just panicking. I'm like, pizza rolls are the answer. Okay. Yeah. I, I almost went and found the thing that they had the most stock on, like something like a you know, a big pen refill or something, and just put about 10 of them in my buggy and walked around just to see if everybody would start snatching those up. And it was just so funny because people, you know, aren't prepared. And I'm, I'm a prepper. I'm not like one of the crazy people on TV who, you know, I don't have 18,000 guns and 9 million bullets. You know, I, I can protect my family if I, by any stretch, but, you know, I, I figure I can shoot one at a time, so we're good with that. I, I prep for things like, you know, this thing and hurricanes and that kind of stuff. You know, here in Georgia, we get a lot of that stuff. And you can do it without having to go nuts. So I'll, I'll give you some advice on that when you need it. Well, I was talking to my kid, approaching 30, so he's not really a kid, but I was talking to my son. And, you know, after he got out of the Marine Corps, you know, he had a bunch of these uh, MREs. Yeah. Uh, not, not a bunch, but maybe a dozen of these MREs and had them up in the attic. And I thought, ah, oh, these things are good. Just I had no idea they, they actually expire. I yeah. thought they had an indefinite shelf life. <laughs> so we were talking about, uh, or you know, once the quarantine and everything started months, months ago, like we should uh, get a bunch of MREs. We went online. I couldn't, re- I couldn't believe how expensive they were. Oh, they're ridiculous. I mean, it, 10 years ago, they were five bucks a piece. Now, no, you can't find them nowhere near that. Mm-mm. I was really surprised. I was going to order like a hundred of them. It's like, well, nope, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the original MREs that had everything was freeze dried. Now those would last, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. oh yeah. And you'd only had to eat one of those a week because man, they would plug you up like a damn cork. <laughs> Holy crap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my, uh, my kid was giving me advice on which ones are good versus one, which ones weren't. You know, oh. They lived on them for, um, during their deployments. And um, you know, they, they, there's definitely some that are better than others. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the gold in any MRE pack, the pack of jalapeno cheese. And if you can get a pack of jalapeno cheese, shit, you, you can trade that for a Humvee if you want to. It don't matter. Yeah. 
say you just see a rifle, pack of cheese. In a heartbeat. <laughs> great. Oh, man, yeah, because there's two kind of people. There are peanut butter and cracker people, and there are uh, wheat snack bread and jalapeno cheese people. And all I'm going to say is one of them probably can't be trusted. <laughs> well, yeah, I kind of wonder what the nutritional. I know, I know those things are designed to give you all your calories and carbs that you need. Um, but I actually wonder, like, really how healthy are they if you're eating them consistently? You know, if you were just living off of MREs for a month. Oh, man, it would. I, I think I saw where somebody tried to do that a while back just as an experiment, kind of like the supersize me thing Morgan Spurlock mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it turned out really well. Mm. Um, now, I tell you, the MRE that I want to try is a Scottish MRE. Because I, I looked on, on YouTube one night, and they have this channel where these people just open MREs, even old ones, and see what's in them and eat them and all this. But a Scottish one? I want to join the Scottish Army. I'm not going to lie. Because there's they opened it up, and it had two great big packs of basically giant Twix bars, a bowl of ramen noodles, an e-cig, a pint of whiskey, a can of iron brew, which is like a Coke or something to mix your whiskey with, and it did have its own little shot glass. But the MRE heater was actually a piece of fuel rod from a damn trident missile that is a perfect package yes i so want one and you cannot buy them anywhere but oh yeah interesting i I was supposed to be in scotland this year um i was going to go and do a little speaking speaking engagement over there and, and of course covid interrupted all of my my plans and uh now, if we do ever reschedule that and I can get over there, I'm going to have to make a point of getting my hands on one of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, I, I couldn't believe it when I was watching this thing. I'm like, they really just opened a Scottish MRA with a freaking piece of nuclear material in it. Yeah, a bottle of booze. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you figure their, their army runs on sugar, carbs, caffeine, nicotine, and hate. That is awesome. Now I know why William Wallace was such a badass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that blue paint on his face wasn't paint, man. That was just radiation stuff. <laughs> he was mutating a little bit. <laughs> awesome. But oh yeah, well um, you know we'll we'll go on ahead and we'll we'll, we'll get to the meat of this thing that we had we had talked about some and that I'm sure everybody's wanting to hear about. You know you were. You were an LAPD detective forever, and you're retired yeah. now. That's right. And uh, you led the task force for Biggie and Tupac. Well, for Biggie, but Tupac kind of got intertwined in there because you couldn't deal with one without the other one. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. You know, we're on the on the trail to find out what happened with Biggie and try to examine all the conspiracy theories, and we stumble upon this guy named Keefe D who was a Southside Crip gang member, and we wanted to talk to him about Biggie because we knew he was at the Peterson Auto Museum that night. And We get in there, and he knows where we're going with it and essentially says, listen, I can't help you with that, um, but what I can tell you is about Las Vegas and Tupac, and that leads to his confession and the involvement in 
with his involvement in that murder. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I, I, I was telling you, I watched Unsolved, and you know, the one the people that played everybody in there was just amazing. You know, the casting was great, and uh, you know, I also watched the the documentary of your book, Murder Rap, which was awesome too. You know, I I feel like I've I like to say I know this case well, but I know what's been put out about this case well. Because I know, you know, being around law enforcement my entire career, there's things you just can't put out there. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to ask you all the questions that everybody has because I'm sure, you know, like I say, you get tired of that sometimes. You get to where you can just mash a button and play back a thing for the answers. But, uh I, I kind of, I, I trip out when somebody will contact me, you know, instant messenger or whatever, and, and they'll be like, uh, hey, Greg, I, I read your book. You know, I appreciate it. And, uh, but I have a question. I go, Who do you think killed Biggie? Or Who do you think killed Tupac? I'm like, Did you finish the book? Oh, my God. <laughs> Honestly, I've had that question asked of me a dozen times. Like, uh, I've got to respond. Oh boy! <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I like when people won't read the books or won't won't take time to learn about what they're about to talk about. You know, and true. And it's funny, you know. I've I've had ten thousand questions, and I'm I'm bad about writing things down, and my memory is just horrible sometimes. But this morning on the way home, I thought of the question that I don't think that you have had. And it's concerning Russell Poole. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure the movie's accurate as far as him. And uh, everything I've read about him or seen about him, he was basically a dog with a bone who was, I mean, almost psychotically fixed on this one theory, you know, with LAPD being involved and it's all dirty cops doing this. Mm-hmm. Um. How do you think that he would have his his investigation would have turned out had he not been, you know, the, it, before he got assigned to it, had he not come across the Kevin Gaines investigation, and made that connection with Shug? Do you think he? I I think he could have turned out differently, but I'm not really sure. Well, yeah. So the Kevin Gaines thing was a big. Um, you know, that was a big red herring. Um, but I understand there was reason to pursue it as far as, well, you've got this LAPD cop who's been involved in this road rage incident, and dating Suge Knight, you know, estranged wife and driving her car. And, you know, that's all is suspicious. So I kind of, there was a need to pursue that line of inquiry, but to draw the conclusion based on a bunch of circumstantial events is where he, you know, he kind of got blinded um, by his own theory. Mm-hmm. You know, so he just lost his objectivity. And he had things going on in his personal life that were affecting it too, you know, a drinking problem and involved in an affair and things were not going great at work. And the guys around him were like, hey, Russ, um, don't put all your eggs in this basket. You know, mm. you know we understand you got to pursue, but you know, keep everything balanced. Yeah, and I think that's where he kind of fell out. Yeah, and I, I hate that, you know. And I mean, for 
for what they had to work with. I mean, cause I've, I've dealt with, you know, people on the street for years and, you know, people aren't going to talk period. Most of the time they're not going to say squat and here they are. They don't even have the, the leads, you know, like, like you had said on another, another show I heard, you know, y'all were fortunate because y'all had 10 years worth of stuff that had already groundwork had already been laid. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden here this cat is with like the case is still smoking and nobody saying anything. So that, that would be rough to begin with, but then to, to have all that on top of it and, and fall in love with that one theory and just kind of blow up from there. That's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I think it really played it, it. It's something he carried with him and turned into a, you know, once, once you've committed and invested so much, you have a tendency to dig your heels in even when other information surfaces that disproves your position. And I think some people are just a little bit too stubborn to recognize that, uh, you know, and of course we had, we had resources, um, and time that he didn't have, you know, he was on, he was not, he was not on it for a long time, less than a year. Yeah. And, you know, here we are 10 years after the fact, with all the investigative material that a lot of people had done, not just school. Mm-hmm. And we had resources. We had the federal resources. We could spend, you know, $100,000 getting up on a on a wiretap and travel all over the place and pay people, you know, to work for us and form it. And we, we had a tremendous advantage. Mm. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, I, I just, like I say, you know, reading reading everything I've read and watching everything I've watched, I mean, y'all, y'all did a hell of a job. And like I say, it, it, everybody, you know, puts, because you, you were the, you know, lead on this thing. Everybody says, Greg Kading solved it. And, and it, if, if you're like me, you know, I know you, you'll tell everybody in a heartbeat. It was a team effort because I mean, absolutely. everybody's a team. Yeah, absolutely. I, I only get the credit cause I was the first one to step out and, uh, disclose what we found. Mm-hmm. Had somebody else retired before me and wrote a book, then they would be the one getting the credit. So, um, yeah, it was definitely a team effort. I owe, I owe a, a dozen different people um, a debt of gratitude for helping us get to where we got. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, how how big was the task force? I know on the on unsolved, it was you know five or six people there, but how how big was the actual? Was that the actual size of it, or no, not even close. Yeah. That was reduced to just a core group, just for television purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, on a on a working day. You know, we would have sometimes 12 guys and everybody was doing different areas of responsibility. You know, my, my buddy Jim Black with the ATF, he was doing everything that was gun related and then guys at the DEA that were doing things drug related and guys from Compton that were doing things gang related and you know, everybody was doing something else. We had analysts, people mm-hmm. that just sat there and, you know, put the information on the flow charts and so... It was a huge group. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, like I say, I and and you know, I've I've been in groups like that. You know, not not investigating, obviously, but you know, when we've got things that we've got to do in EMS and on fire scenes and things like that. You know, you get groups like that that there's there's a bond that forms that. You know, I'm I'm sure that you may not get with all of them these right now, but I'm sure, like I say, you call Jim Black your friend still. 
You know, I'm oh, sure yeah. you still keep in touch with these folks. Yeah, or at least some of them. I, most of them I do. I, they're either retired and we go, we go boating together or golfing together or whatever. Uh, and then, of course, my, my most solid guy is Darren Dupree, who was my partner played by Bokeem Woodbine mm. in the uh, series. Um, you know, he's still on the job. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I consider him closer than a brother. So, yeah, definitely everybody was solid. But there were a few people, you know, there was some internal conflict, too, with um, a few people that just wanted to go in different directions, uh, didn't like having somebody else dictating what was happening. So it's just the interpersonal dynamics that sometimes are more difficult to deal with in the case itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll wind this part down a little bit. Uh, we'll get back to golf and stuff. Cause, Oh yeah. <laughs> but, um, I know when, you know, y'all, y'all found out and were able to confirm that LAPD wasn't the ones who killed Biggie and Tupac, you know, and they, they dropped a lawsuit. Um, they just kind of snatched the rug out from under y'all, didn't they? They really did. I think the department was frustrated with all the time and money and energy that they had to devote in order to defend the allegations that they knew were untrue. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, because, you know, if you really look into that lawsuit, look at all the minutiae of this case, it was constantly falling apart, you know. Yeah. They were... The, the plaintiff, you know, were even dismissing from the lawsuits their primary defendants, which David Mack and um, Amir Mohammed, Harry Billups. Those mm -hmm. guys got dismissed from the lawsuit. So what does that tell you about the lawsuit? Yeah. They just kept pursuing it, thinking that, well, we'll just push this to a point where the LAPD will just be happy to settle out of court and give us, give us our millions and let this thing go. But the LAPD wasn't going to do that. Yeah, they were going to fight it tooth and nail to the very end, and then once they won, you know, for all intent and purposes, by disproving the claim, and the lawsuit was retracted, the LA is like, okay, we're done with it. Yeah, yeah, and you know the one one of the sucky parts about it, you know, is I know y'all have it have it where basically you've got it where Orlando Anderson and Tupac, and then you know Poochie Faust and Biggie. You know, both of them are gone now, so you can't prosecute. You can't come out and, you know, LAPD can't come out and say, okay, these are the guys that did it because they can't try them. And it, well, uh, yeah. yeah. For, I mean, it was such a small conspiracy group insofar as the Biggie murder. I mean, you really just had the shooter. You had Suge, and you had the girl that ran interference in yeah. the two. Uh, we've always been open-minded to the idea that there could have been a layoff guy or a spotter mm -hmm. at the Peterson that reported to the shooter, um, but we don't know who that is. Yeah. And, and uh, so, um, you know, now you've got Suge in jail essentially for life. The girl has immunity, and Poochie's dead. Yeah. And you're right. It's very difficult to do anything with that case. Tupac was a little different because at the time we figured out what happened to him, there were still co-conspirators living. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Terrence Brown, the driver, was living. Mm -hmm. um, and then he passed away. Of course, Keithy B, he's still prosecutable. Um, 
but Las Vegas PD, for whatever reason, hasn't aggressively pursued him. And then there's this whole puppy component that is impractical to try to drag him into the conspiracy just because you're basing everything off of this gang member named QPD, who's a convicted drug dealer, that mm. would lose all of his credibility if he were on the stand. Yeah. So it's a very complicated situation with Tupac. Yeah. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and I was, I was telling him about the, the interview coming up. He said, now, who have you got? I said, he's he's was on the task force that solved Biggie and Tupac. He said, that was never solved. I'm like, yes, it was. <laughs> I said, just wasn't prosecutable because of all these different factors. And, uh, it, 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 ironically, the person who put it best was Terry Sanders, who was Valletta Wallace's attorney. And he said, these cases aren't unsolved. They're unprosecuted. Mm-hmm. And that's coming from Biggie Small's own estate's attorney. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like I'll tell people a lot of times, you know, we'll have calls that go bad or calls that don't go the way that we want them to. And all you can do is do what you know to do and you know what, do what you know is right. And when you can go home in the morning and sleep like a baby, you've done your job. And I believe that y'all sleep like a baby every night because it sounds to me like you've done it. Yeah. I don't carry any, you know, I don't carry any, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, yeah. I was pissed when I left the job. I, th- I thought the bureaucracy and everything that we dealt with was uh, was very frustrating. Yeah. And didn't didn't treat Valletta Wallace with the respect that we should have been um, extending. Yeah. But now I look back on it, and I, I get the practicality of the department's decision. I just don't like the way they went about it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh. I mean, talking about Amir Muhammad, you know, that was, man, he, he got his life turned around, turned upside down over this thing. And he, you know, I know y'all figured out quick, and I, I think the other, not the other ones didn't yet, but I figured out quick, he was just nothing at all to do with this yet. So like you say, perception is reality. And yeah, he's just a complete square. You look at Amir Muhammad and you know, kind of get to know him a little bit and you, you see that, uh, um, you know, he had this unfortunate relationship with David Mack. Um, Amir Muhammad's real relationship started out with David Mack's wife. They were friends. And, of course, David Mack and Amir become friends as a result of that. So, naturally, when David Mack goes to prison and he needs to lean on someone to look after his family, um, you know, he pulls in Amir Muhammad. He's not going to go to some one of his police friends because he's just basically uh, alienated everybody because of his criminal behavior. Mm. Not going to go to any, uh, you know, he's got $750,000 stashed somewhere. (laughs) He's got to go deal with somebody that he knows he can trust will take care of his family while he's gone for eight years. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know that Amir had anything to do with that, but that is to me the most plausible explanation. Um, or why Amir was a little bit shady and evasive yeah. directly after the uh, the bank robbery. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know he he wound up moving out of California, didn't he? Last I heard, he was somewhere over this way. Yeah, he's out your way. I talked to him probably less than two months ago. I was I, I gave him a call and checked in, and 
you know, asking how things were going. And um, you know, I told him, uh, you know, Amir, if you don't ever take the opportunity to step out, you know, it, for instance, like Reggie Wright Jr., right, mm-hmm. who was also on the receiving end of so many false allegations. And I used to talk to Reggie and be like, ah, fuck it, Craig, I don't pay any attention to that stuff. We'll let people say what they're going to say. I know what's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, but still, Reg, you got you to gotta step up and defend yourself. And, and finally, he did. He started to come out and, and address people's allegations and address people's um, uh, claims. And next thing you know, he's, he's got a whole following of people who are like, hey, you know, we've, now that we can hear from you, we no longer think that you're just this deep, dark, mysterious criminal guy. Yeah. You know, you're a real person now that we can understand and, and listen to. And I told Amir the same thing, you know, people would love to hear your perspective on this whole thing. But uh, evidently, uh, this is not his thing. Yeah, I would, you know, I, I was thinking about him and I thought, man, I would love to to be able to get him on here and just, you know, talk to him. But I, I know he doesn't do it. And mm-hmm. You know, I'm, there's a piece of me that understands because, you know, keep your head down, people will forget you. But at the same time, you know, this thing is way too big and there's too much misinformation out there, you know, and it's, well, I don't care what people think about me. It it bothers me some when a giant group of people think I'm an asshole. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, you know, if you ever talk to him and he, he expresses a desire to talk, give him this number. <laughs> yeah, he's out, I think he's, he's out your way. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I just hope hope his his life heals and all is good for him. And uh, I know yours has healed a lot. Uh, you retired, and uh, hopefully a very happy retirement. Yeah, everything's good. I uh, got done on my second remodel of this house that I live in. I've been here for twenty five plus years mm-hmm. and uh bought it when it was new and then it ran its course and done a remodel and now i'm doing it again so just keep improving the house because it seems like it's going to be the place i spend all my days yeah. so um yeah i love it it's you know california's got its own little issues but all things considered it's a pretty good place to be and um you know in retirement's good. Ah, very cool. Yeah, hell, I'm I'm gonna have to work till lunch the day of my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing about EMS; we don't really have retirement. So, yeah, mm. way it goes, way yeah. it goes. I'm just gonna be that old man who imparts my wisdom to all these young bucks coming up, which is kind of how it is now. But <laughs> right, but, like yeah. Robert Duvall in Crash or Colors. Yeah. Remember yeah. Colors from way back when, uh, Robert Ball and I can lip sync that movie. <laughs> yep. Well, oh, yeah, I remember that one well. Oh. But, but, yeah, and it's 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 kind of fun being that guy. I never thought that it would be fun, but it is a lot of fun. So, you know, my partner's a young guy, and uh, I actually found a picture of me in my first EMS uniform from, you know, 1990, and I looked at it, and I looked at him, and I'm like, holy crap, this is a young me. And you know it looked, we're, it's weird the resemblance. Wow! But he's he's a good kid, and he's he's actually in paramedic school right now. He's an EMT, and 
he, he listens and he pays attention and he learns the little things from me. And I like that a lot because I, I'll teach what's not in the book. You know, hell, anybody can teach this drug dose, you know, but a lot of little things, you know, from police work, you know, a lot of little things they're not going to teach you. You've got to find out on your own. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the lessons don't come out of a book. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you talking about um, Dupree, y'all being partners and still still having that bond. You know, one thing I'm seeing now is a lot of these young people and hell, some of the older ones. You know, they come in, they work with somebody. You know, twelve or twenty four hours, whatever your shift is, and you go home and that's it. You don't mess with them no more till it's back on duty. Mm-hmm. And I I came from that old school where. You know, everybody on your shift, especially your partner, you knew each other's families, you knew your kids, you knew your girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever you had, and just, you hung out after work, and you went to the bars, and had just had a good time, and you, that bond was there. Right. And, man, I, I miss that so much for some of these people, because some of them never get to do it, and it sucks, because that, that person, you know, my partner... If something happens, I'm I'm the only one he's got to depend on till till we get help, and it's the same way, you know. He's all I've got, and uh, you know, people are getting more and more violent now. Uh, we we actually had a weekend here recently where the sheriff's department gave us all Kevlar because it was supposed to be a bad weekend. Luckily, it wasn't. I was happy about that, but. You know, me and him made plans before before the shifts even started. Okay, if this happens, here's what we need to do. And I said, you get in trouble, yell the word strawberries. I'll know what to do, trust me. <laughs> and there's things like that. And, you know, uh, my, my wife calls him my mini-me, which tickles me because he's about four inches taller than me and about 50 pounds heavier than me. He's a big boy, which I am too, but he's a big young boy. <laughs> But yeah. But, but yeah. Well, the whole workplace is, you know, the workplace dynamics have changed so much for the current generation. It, you know, it everything's so PC and everything's just that everyone wants to make sure uh, nobody gets offended or nobody says anything that's going to get, you know, it's become so clinical. Yeah. And uh, so that, I think, dissolves those the banter and the camaraderie and the things that uh, that we knew from the workplace. Uh, now everyone's kind of walking around on eggshells um, because you just, you never know what's going to piss somebody off or hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I told you about the strokes. That's, if there's one good thing that could have came out of them, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag, but my filters are gone. You know, it, if I have to apply them, I can. You know, if I'm on a scene with a family or whatever, obviously. But just in everyday conversation, if it comes up, it comes out. And everybody knows that. So I can kind of get away with a little bit more than a lot of people because of that, which is awesome. <laughs> but, but, yeah, you know, um, I know talking about your uh, remodel you got going on, you were telling me there is a bar going in. Yeah, so I've got this square, this detached area of my house. It's about 600 square feet. Uh, it originally was a three-car garage, but then we built another garage, and now I've converted this 
you know, it's been a, it's been a game room, it's been living quarters, it's been blah. But now the current use is going to be a podcast studio, but it, you know, it's got considerable room in there. So I put a full blown bathroom with a walk-in shower and a bar, and there's some games out there. But the the purpose of the room is to host, you know, uh, a, a podcast. Um, but of course. You know, if you know me, five o'clock rolls around, we're going to be opening a beer or something else, and then we'll get down to talking. So, yeah, it's a a podcast bar. Nice. And, you know, that will be a a welcome addition. You know, because I'm I'm down here, I've got a place like that in my basement. I don't have a bar down here, which sucks, but eh, is what it is. Uh, At least get a little mini fridge. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm working on that one. I am working on that one, which I I can go upstairs, you know, 30 feet and get my beer, but there's something about having it where you just reach over and grab it. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> right. But, uh, and I have a solution for you before five o'clock. Do, do you okay. like iced coffee? I, I like coffee in general. Uh, I drink coffee every single morning, like religiously. I, if, if I don't have a cup of coffee in the morning, my day's, going to be a little off kilter um but i do like iced coffee and i'll tell you what else i like once it is five o'clock mm-hmm. is i i take these iced coffees i pour a little vodka in it make kind of like a a, a, mm-hmm. a version of a white russian yeah and oh, yeah. uh that's pretty damn good well i tell you i found something that if if I could get them to pay me for it, it would be my official drink of the podcast. Just the unofficial drink right now. But PBR hard coffee. Paps Blue Ribbon of all beers. But PBR hard coffee. It is freaking amazing. It tastes oh, like a mocha that. that had a little bit of alcohol in it. I have not seen that. I've oh. got to pull that one up. And it's like 6% alcohol. But Perfect. it is amazing. And you can go on their website and they've got the PBR finder and you can actually, it'll show you where all has it down to the convenience stores. Wow. Yeah. It is amazing. Yeah. You guys have the regular, uh, the, the, well, I don't know what they call them, not wholesale liquor stores that, you know, the, the larger, um, like Bevmo, is one out here and total wine and more. You have, I'm assuming you guys have yeah, those we, outlets. We've got a couple, not a lot of them, but we've got a couple of those kind of places. We're mostly just packaged stores that. and bigger, bigger ones here. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm figuring Bevmo or total wine and more. They're going to have that PBR coffee. I'm going to have to look for it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's man. It's, it's worth keeping at least four or five of them in the fridge. It is amazing. <laughs> I'm probably going to get off here in a little while and have one. <laughs> a little caffeine kick. Yep. Yep. May kick back on the back porch with one of those and a good cigar. And life will be good. You know, it's funny. I used to, my mixed, my mixed drink of choice used to be, um, not similar, but kind of along the same vein where you're drinking caffeine and then you're also taking alcohol, which is a, you know, a, a, <laughs> a downer Mm -hmm. (laughs) confusing your body at exactly what you're trying to do. Um, I used to drink Red Bull and vodka. Ooh. Yeah. That was a really, really popular drink. 
and for whatever just the flavor of that i love the taste of red bull and i'd make cocktails with red bull and vodka but man it just seemed like those those adventures didn't always go great Oh, but they always did at the same time. <laughs> they didn't go conventionally great. <laughs> did you see in um, in Unsolved when uh, Josh Demel he's, he's drinking too much and he pulls over to pulls over to take a nap and ends up on the bed of a tow truck and falls out of it? That was actually all really happened. Well, that was a Red Bull and vodka adventure nice. in real life. That actually happened at the end of a poker game where I'd drinking way more than I should have. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, and I was wondering if that really happened. And I'm like, there's no way in hell they just wrote that in. That had to have happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, I've, I've never never done that but been there. Yeah, My, my drink when I was younger was tequila. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm the guy that used to take the cap off of a fifth and throw the cap away. And oh, I, boy. I would eat the worm. I quit doing that the night that I was sitting on my couch and my coffee table got up and went to the fridge and got a beer and came back. Yeah, I, I quit the, the worm after that. But And uh, this is going to sound horrible to some of my listeners, but I don't care. Um, it's me. I quit drinking tequila when I woke up one morning. And you remember the, the old birthday cards that would have like at Spencer's Gifts or whatever that had the great big women in the bikinis on them? Okay. Yeah, I, I woke up with one of those one morning, not the card. Butt naked. <laughs> just, just the model. Yes, with the most horrible taste in my mouth I've ever had. Oh, boy. And I have not touched tequila in 30 years now. <laughs> yeah. Now I like Dude, a good bourbon, or, and I like vodka. But yeah. I just started learning how to make my own uh, old-fashioned mm-hmm. Um my nephew came over. He's a mixologist and taught me the finer points on how to make a proper Manhattan. Ah. I'm sorry, uh, an old fashioned. Mm. And uh, so I've been tilting those back every once in a while. Oh, yeah. I've got to wear, you know, if, I, if I'm if i drinking, uh, which I don't drink a lot anymore just because I'm always working or sleeping. But uh, I like to get a little bit of bourbon in the bottom of a coffee cup and just, you know, sip that with a good cigar. And I, I haven't got any good cigars right now. I need to get up with my friend and get some more. Because he actually just opened a cigar lounge near Augusta, where I'm from. So, but yeah, I love doing that. I love vodka. Um, have you tried hammer and sickle? I am. I'm familiar with that. I'm having a little trouble visualizing the logo. Uh, it's a, um it's a square bottle, um, tall square bottle with the logos actually just a hammer and sickle. Okay. It I is so smooth. That. There is there is absolutely no backbite. It's almost like drinking water. Hmm. It will get you in trouble fast, but it's so good. Hammer and sickle. Yeah. Is that a is that a Russian vodka? Yeah. Obviously. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Because huh. yeah, my, is. I usually do drink Russian vodka, even though lately I've been drinking Tito's from Texas. But um, Stoli has always been my go-to vodka, mm-hmm. Stoli Naya. Yep. And because uh, I always thought, you know, Russians, uh, they kind of, at least for me, uh, they wrote the book on vodka. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they they make some mean tater liquor, as we like to say. <laughs> but 
But oh yeah, and you know I. It, it's funny, you know. I, I told you this thing steers itself everywhere, and it does, man. We go all over the map on this show, but it's fun. Um, I know whenever I first reached out to you, you know, you, you saw the name of the podcast, and you're like, dude, I burn everything. All right, no, we. It's not. It's just the name of it, you know. But uh, yeah, I I cook a lot, and uh, it it breaks my heart when somebody can't cook, man. I feel like I got to teach them the easy parts, but. <laughs> But yeah, do you cook at all? Uh, I I can in a pinch. You know, I make really basic stuff. My son turned into he he loves to cook. Yeah. So he uh, he'll come over and make a big mess in the kitchen, but he'll he'll whip up some really good food. Uh, my wife my wife's a good cook. Her problem is that she doesn't know how to cook proportional. Yeah. She only knows how to make a lot of food. <laughs> yeah. And. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then me, yeah, I, I just do a few basics. I stick, you know, if I'm hungry, I'm not going to put a lot of energy into doing something new and exciting. I'm just going to be like, all right, get me some canned chicken and get me some noodles. And I'm going to put some Parmesan cheese on that and some Tabasco. And then that's going to be, you know, my, my chicken, you know, my, my chicken pasta. <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. So Tabasco, do you like hot? I, I do. Not really hot, though. I mean, I just like a little bit of kick. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I stay at about the medium level on the heat scale. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't go I can't go too far beyond that. Oh, man. I, the hotter the better with me. I, I was actually supposed to go this last weekend and do a, a challenge with a couple of my friends. One, one, the guy who owns the cigar place and I've got another one that opened up a barbecue and seafood place right near him. Mm. And uh, we were going to get some shrimp for the seafood place. And I've got some sauce from a company called Pucker Butt, mm. who their owner is the one who developed the Carolina Reaper and the Pepper X, which is now the hottest pepper. Oh, and uh, yeah, this, this sauce is supposed to be ridiculous hot. And we were going to go sit in a cigar lounge eating these shrimp dipped in sauce while doing trivia. So, but I didn't, I wound up not being able to go this weekend. So I'm looking forward to doing that. But, uh, I do videos, just little character things. I do just something to do shits and giggles. And, uh, when all this started, I put out an Amazon list to everybody and said, all right, if you order something off of this list, when it comes in, you get to pick what character I do and what I'm doing while I eat this or do this challenge. And, uh, I've got a clown whose name is Murray. And uh, this is Murray's voice. Murray is a very abrasive bastard. And uh, in his first video, he drank a, a fifth of bourbon in 10 minutes, which in the video it was tea because if I drank like Murray, it would kill me. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine sent me this thing called the White Chocolate Challenge, which is a piece of white chocolate, obviously. But it's got 12 of the hottest peppers in the world in it. And he wanted me to eat this pepper and... Do it as, or eat this chocolate as Murray and read the dirty parts of Fifty Shades of Grey. So, yeah, I filmed that. And I don't know if you've ever read Fifty Shades of Grey or not. I had not prior to this. Holy shit. <laughs> I, I have not um, read that, but I will take your word for it that it gets, it gets pretty graphic and, and yeah. detailed. Yeah, a little bit. I'm like, oh, so, man, I got to quit agreeing I, to things first. <laughs> a drunk clown who's sweating 
because it peppers <laughs> reading a dirty book. Yep. Love it. Yep. But yeah, the, the YouTube channel is easy to remember. It's Brad's comedy. It's all one word, <laughs> but oh yeah, it is. It is interesting to say the least. And I'm sitting here staring at another bottle of hot sauce. One of my guests sent me, she does, uh, she's a author and she wants me to do one of the characters from her books, reading something while using this sauce. So that's going to be interesting. What type of, uh, what genre does she write in? Uh, she writes like the fantasy novels, like, you know, the time travel, that stuff. And there are also romance novels. So, but they're not like the, the 50 shades of gray romance. Right. Or so the proper romance. Yeah. These will be a lot more tame than, than the other one. <laughs> but I've, I've been reading it to get a feel for the character and it's actually pretty good books. Her name's Vicki Stifle. But, uh, the character or the author? The author. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm, she, it's funny. My wife has, has been reading these things for years, and I started to get her to read it. And I'm like, no, this this lady just sent you an advanced copy of this book, and she has bought money, bought sauce for money and sent it to you. You need to read this so you can do this right. And <laughs> I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I like the book. Perfect. Yeah. It's... Uh, gonna be interesting to say the least. But awesome. But oh yeah. But uh yeah, if you ever get down here near Atlanta, you don't have to worry about eating anywhere, you will be fed, that's for sure. I may end up looking you up. Here's why, because uh I'm working on a documentary. I think this I can't working on this documentary about this kid that went missing from Atlanta mm-hmm. back in two thousand and thirteen. His name was Ryan Singleton. And uh, he ended up out in L.A. and then disappeared. And they found his body at the end of the summer out in Baker, which is this little, you know, basically a pit stop between Las Vegas and everybody in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And uh, his body was just found out in the desert. And, you know, the condition of his body and everything led to a bunch of conspiracy theories. And... Uh, so we're going to be out there doing some of the follow-up on that documentary uh, next month. So I'll look you up. Outstanding. Yeah, give me give me some heads up, man, and I'll I'll fix anything you want. Perfect. But oh yeah, your your cholesterol and it's I say your cholesterol will jump up. I actually cook fairly healthy for for everything that I do cook. So. Just just put the hot sauce on the side for me, though. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's one thing I never spring on anybody because that's just some cold-blooded shit to do. Somebody expect to eat something good and all of a sudden their eyeballs fall out because something's so hot. Yeah, that's just wrong. And then you can't get it out of your mouth. Once that damage is done, you're going to have to live with it for yeah. the duration of until uh, it dissipates. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we'll, we'll put the hot sauce on the side. And I do have normal Tabasco because that is my go-to. Perfect. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know you're welcome on here anytime. I don't care what it's for. You know you just want to bullshit. Just call up and say, fat boy, let's talk, and I'll hit record. <laughs> I think I'll just call you by your name. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll work. <laughs> awesome. But very cool. But, man, like I said, I've, I've had a great time with you today. This has been awesome. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy we went beyond just the murders because that's just a little piece of you. Yeah, I appreciate that too. Just because uh, you know, 
there's a point where you've talked about something so much that you start to kind of just grow a little immune to it. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm always there to deal with people that are asking questions, but it's also a breath of fresh air to talk about something else. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, very cool. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that today. Uh, I had a great time talking to Craig. He is such a great guy. Uh, he's got a lot of irons in the fire, and we're going to hear a lot more from him. So everybody just kind of keep your ears peeled and keep checking on him. Y'all take care. Thank you so much for listening.